city of Chicago. It's a beautiful day here, folks. And I hope wherever you are in the world that it's a beautiful day there. And it is so beautiful. It is just gorgeous for a late fall day, right? Yeah, get out there and enjoy the weather if you can. You know, I mean, to, I mean, I think it's nice enough to, you know, I mean, even if you're by yourself or you're with someone else, take a walk, walk around your neighborhood, get get that blood flowing, you know, get, <laughs> because that is totally, totally important that you get that blood flowing because when you get a certain age, you need more exercise <laughs> than some of the young people do because you know things are are, are getting bad and they hurt a lot. <laughs> things hurt okay so you want to get that exercise going i was talking to a uh, a doctor a nurse the other day as i was going to get a flu shot okay and uh and we were discussing how exercise was so so important i think i was actually educating them actually <laughs> they were the they were the uh, medical personnel and i was just a joe walking in uh getting a flu shot right <laughs> for for the upcoming um uh winter and that's another thing if i can de- diverse a little bit uh folks get your flu shot get your flu shot please get your flu shot because a lot of people aren't making it uh we're going to talk more about uh, more about flu shots yeah uh a little later on in the show or, or right after I get through talking about what I'm going to talk about is exercise. We were talking about exercise, how important it is. In some cases, folks, this has even been on the nightly news. Exercise is almost just as important, even more important than eating right. I mean, you could eat all the junk in the world, but, you know, and then go out there and exercise. Ex- exercise will benefit you a hell of a lot. I'm not saying go out there and gouge on, you know, Big Macs and Whoppers and and Wendy's and stuff like that and Church's Chicken and Popeye's. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that even the studies, the medical studies out there are saying that exercise is more important than anything. Of course, eat right. Totally, totally eat right, okay? <laughs> but it's not necessary at some stages if you're doing a lot of exercise because exercise is actually um, helps to keep your weight down. No matter how much you eat, it helps to keep your weight down. But I'm not saying do not, go out there and gouge on you know, unhealthy food. I'm just saying that uh, get your exercise in. Every single day. And that goes for older people too. If you can walk, if you can <laughs> if you can stand up, get your exercise. You know, it is so important that you keep that blood flowing inside of your body. You gotta keep the blood moving. You gotta keep that blood going from artery to artery, your heart back down to wherever it's going, and you know, you you gotta keep it going. I'm not a doctor, as you can probably tell, okay? But you have to keep get some exercise. Thirty minutes a day. Hey, walk around your neighborhood. Thirty minutes a day. Grab a neighbor. Grab a, a sibling or a, a brother or, or whoever. If you want, don't want to do it by yourself. If you refuse to do it by yourself, uh, exercise with someone. But if you, it's not paramount that you exercise with someone as long as you get exercise. And it could be just as simply as walking around the corner. Thirty minutes, a thirty-minute walk. Put it that way. You know, or I mean, 
sometimes those 30-minute walks can lead to an hour walk or two hours because you're going to be enjoying it so much. I can't walk, George. My legs hurt. My knees are killing me. I can barely stand up. That is the best time to get some exercises is when you're hurting. And this is what we were talking about the other day. Uh, We were saying that medication, too much of medication, I don't care what kind of medication it is, it can kill you. Uh, And proof being that some medications can kill you, especially prescriptions, uh, some of this stuff can kill you. People have died. Some people overdose on it. Some people uh, don't follow the guidelines when they're when they're taking these things. If they take too much or over, you know, overindulge in some of these uh, uh, prescription drugs, and they're gone. Or I knew this guy; he was taking over six or seven, eight kinds of drugs. I know some because they would uh, sometimes the deliverer would deliver them to my door instead of his door, and I would have to you know, knock on his door and say, hey, man, here's your medicine. Uh, and the guy had about, I mean, I, I, I sneaked into the look in his bag, and there was about whoo, 20 different, maybe 20 different kinds of medication that he had to take at one time. And the next thing you know, in a couple of days, the, we were smelling something. And what we were smelling was death. The guy died. The, the medication literally killed him. You know, because if you've been watching TV, all of these medicines come on television for cancer, diabetes, heart disease, whatever, you know, all these medicines. But and then after they tell you about the medicines, they run a list, a litany of the side effects. And that's what probably kill most people taking medication. They don't follow the guidelines when it comes to the um the medication and its side effects. So, but exercise, I mean, exercise. I know some people say, well, George, I can't do that. I'm, a, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm homebound. I'm, I'm this or that. But exercise, if you just walk 30 minutes a day, even if you're in pain, even if you're in pain, still exercise. Because there's no medicine like exercise you can take every medication i mean think of it this way the medical industry is profitable they make money big money keeping you sick keeping you on medication that's going to kill you doctors every time they write you a prescription that's money in their pockets whether you die off (laughs) <laughs> and if you soon die off, it's not their fault. They got your money. That's all it's about. It, it, it's, it's, it, the medical industry is profitable. They're out there to make money. Keeping you sick will keep money flowing in their pockets. They'll, they will be able to keep their jobs. Why you keep? Why the doctor keep on writing you prescriptions. Why, why do you think they keep giving you all of these appointments to come back to the doctor, come back to the doctor, come back, come back? Because every time you walk into that clinic, every time you walk into the door, sit down and wait for the doctor, you're being charged. And in some clinics, they have it so 
that if you you have an appointment a day before or a day before your appointment, they're going to call you to tell you that you have an appointment. So you, in case you've forgotten, they're going to let you know by a phone call or a text that you need to come to the clinic or to the doctor's office for this or that. So it's all profitable. It's all, it's all profitable. My son, my son has had braces in his mouth for over five years, and I'm wondering when the hell are they going to take them braces out? Are they doing any good? This is one thing that I know for sure. They're getting paid. Every time he walks into that door, <laughs> they're getting paid. Yeah. So it's profitable, but let's get back to exercise. I think, um, matter of fact, I know that if you give up medicine and start exercising regularly, regularly you will see that how much it benefits your body and your pain. Exercise makes you stronger. It makes your body immune to a lot of diseases that so many people are dying of. Yeah, you may hurt, you may be in pain, but struggle through that 30-minute exercise. And after, give it a few weeks, maybe even a few days, it'll be gone like magic. And you didn't take anything. You didn't take any kind of a pain pill. All you did was exercise. I mean, I do the same thing. I would not tell anybody to do something that, that I have not done. I have walked through, I have walked or ran or jogged through mountains of pain. I didn't want to do it. But after a few days of doing it, the pain was gone. And I walk into house, walk in the house and into my medicine cabinet, and I start throwing away all those drugs. I said, exercise is what's doing it here. Exercise, drinking, drinking plenty of water, and staying positive about everything. Depression, helplessness, those kinds of feelings and emotions, they keep us sick also. So it, it's not good to be uh, lonely by yourself. You know, and, and feeling lonely. That brings on depression and that can make you sick because depression is a medical issue. So always stay positive. I mean, you know, always stay positive. Um if you if you don't have anybody, if you're alone by yourself, get yourself a dog. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a facetious kind of way. Pets will uh, you know, prolong your life. Unless you just want to be alone by yourself. And there's a lot of people who want to be alone. Leave me alone, George. Okay. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who want to be alone. But if you don't want to be alone and you want to want company, get, get a pet. You can adopt a pet. You know, and, and walk them every day. I mean, by walking a pet every day, you're getting your exercise while you're giving the pet his exercise. Because, you know... Uh, you see dog walkers out here every day. Why are they walking their dogs? So give their dogs some exercise so they can, the dog uh, or pet or cat or whatever, uh, don't get the diseases that we get. Dogs can have heart attacks. They can have heart disease. They can get diabetes just like the rest of us can. Pets can, do, can get the same symptoms, have the same things we can. So that's why we go out here and walk our dogs to keep our dogs healthy. 
And while you're walking your dog, you, you're also keeping yourself healthy. So there's a, a lot of benefits in owning a pet. You know, some people don't like pets. I don't like a pet. I don't like a dog. I don't want a cat. But then if you don't want, I mean, if you want, don't want pets or anything, still get out there and do a 30-minute walk if you can. I understand some people are in wheelchairs. Some people are immobile. Uh, but um, if you can, find a way to exercise. Because um, sitting down all day or doing nothing all day is detrimental to your health. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Get your exercise. Get your exercise, okay? All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. And I, I was just posting something on Facebook, and I was saying, why do media people stand uh, – actually, why can't media people stand up to Donald Trump uh, when he insults them on national television? Everybody is seeing that – that clip where Donald Trump insults uh, the reporter. And, and, uh, you know, I I don't understand why people don't stand up to Donald Trump when he insults them. He's a bully. He's insane. He has no human qualities. He has no feelings for anybody, not even probably not himself. He will throw anybody under the bus. He He doesn't care if you're a supporter, if you're not a supporter. But, why don't the people stand up to Donald Trump? I know if that was me out there in the audience and he said something insulting, I would I would have shot back at him. And they're saying that well, the reason why she didn't say anything, George, uh, when Donald Trump insulted her, she didn't want to lose her job. She, I don't think she would have lost her job if she stood up to a bully. She'd have been the she would have been the hero of the hour. If she'd have stood up to Donald Trump and there would have been a lot of people out here, a lot of companies that would have offered her a job just for standing up to a bully. Donald Trump is a fucking bully. Stand up to the guy. You see how uh, the lawyer, Michael Avenatti, I mean, Trump tried to get on his case, call him names. Merit, uh, uh, Michael Avenatti shot back at Trump and Trump has been quiet ever since. Now that's the way you treat Trump. If Trump comes comes after you negatively uh, bullying, shoot back at him. Let him know that you're not afraid of him, that you can stand up to him because Trump is a coward. He is, he is a sniveling coward. He, the man is a coward. And a bully. And he's bullying you because he can. He has all of these uh, – he has the uh, Secret Service behind him. He has all these people around him. He's trying to play tough. He tries to play um, – and that's all it is, is just play because he's a coward. Uh, and I would say to the media, stand up to this guy. Stop cowering down to Donald Trump because if you cower down to Donald Trump, he's going to continue to come after you. Bullies, you have to stand up to bullies. You have to tell them, tell them off when they come after you. If you don't say anything, if you, if you just, okay, Donna, I mean, sit on down, he's going to come after you and keep coming after you. He's going to call you names. He's going to insult you and keep coming after you because he knows that you're not going to do anything and you're not going to say anything back. So if anybody out there, the media listening, 
um, the American uh, media, stand up to this asshole. Stop bowing down to him. Because if, if you don't stand up to him, you empower him more. And that's what bullies uh, are about. The more you let a bully bully you, they're going to keep on bullying you. They're going to keep after you because they know that you're not going to stand up. They know that you're afraid of them when they themselves are nothing but liver-livered cowards. All right. <laughs> You've been listening to the uh, uh, George Wanda Jr. I just hate to see people let people uh, run over them who are just cowards, total cowards. It's been proven that they're cowards. And uh, people who bow down to Donald Trump because they feel that they're going to lose their jobs, please, you're not going to lose your job. The world wants to see anybody who's anybody to stand up against this tyrant. He's a tyrant. You have plenty of job offers. You have so many job offers, you, you wouldn't know what to do with all of them. So don't tell me about they're not standing up to Donald Trump because they're afraid to lose their job. If they are, somebody ought to school them. No, you're not going to lose your job. If you do, uh, you can sue who, whoever you're working for to get your job back, or you, you have so many other uh, offers. It's a damn shame. Because people want to see other folks stand up to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a sniveling coward, but he's empowered by people who are afraid of him. Stop being afraid of him. I'm talking to the media out there. Stop being afraid of Donald Trump. If he comes to you in a wrong way, you go back to him. I guess what I'm saying is fight fire with fire. I don't believe in turning the other cheek. I never did. I never did. This is why I was more of a Malcolm X fan than I was a Dr. Martin Luther King fan. Martin Luther King would say, turn your other cheek to violence. Malcolm X would say, if someone hits you, you hit them back. That's who... I looked up to was Malcolm X because I'm in the same, I feel the same way. If somebody strikes you, if somebody says something nasty about you, you say something nasty about them back. I know there are so many people out there that are saying, well, that's the wrong way to do it. That's not right. Be above the phrase, be above it all. You keep being above it all. You're going to get your ass kicked. You got to get down there in the mud and fight uh, the good fight or you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You know, so being above the fray is not always a good thing because the Democrats have been above the fray for years and the Republicans just came and kicked them in the teeth. And the Republicans are still kicking them in the teeth because they're so much above the fray. Get down in the gutter with these people. Get down in the sewer with them. Take them on. And you'll be surprised at how much of a, how much of a coward these people are. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. My guest is author Honey Casper. 
uh, and commentary on the George Wilder Jr. show. We just got through talking. I just got through talking about bullies, uh, notably Donald Trump. He is one fucking bullies. Pardon my language, folks, but you're going to hear a lot of that, as you probably already have heard. But uh, this is the uh, Trump era, and people just kind of stay pissed off for something or other. Or other. All right. Oh, my tongue is twisted. All right. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We are going to take a what kind of break here? Um, a music break.
All right, we all uh, heard about Kavanaugh and all of this stuff. I think the guy is totally guilty. I just think he's guilty. Uh, it's just uh, just really, really amazes me that the Republicans are still trying to seat this man, even they, even though they know he's unfit and he did everything that woman said he has done. There's three or four women out here, and there, then there's his classmates who are corroborating some of their story, and there's an FBI investigation, and the Republicans are still supporting him. Isn't that something? They want to put another pedophile, another, another um, sexual misconductor on the Supreme Court. The first one is Clarence Thomas. Remember back in 1991, 1992, the Nita Hill, Long Dong Silver, and they put uh, put Clarence Thomas on the uh, on the uh, uh, Supreme Court. He's a sexual assaulter. So they want to put another sexual assaulter on the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh. Did you see did you see all of those crazy those crazy uh, faces he made when he was being questioned at the hearing? Actually, it was a job. They were right. This was a job interview. Would you have would you have hired him for Garbage collector, if he acted like that, you wouldn't hire him as dog catcher. Yet the Republicans want to put him on, on court. Guilty, even if he's guilty, even if he's done all of this, all of these things, all these things that he has allegedly done. They want to put this man, they still want to put him on the Supreme Court. What does that say about the Republicans? They want to put another sexual... Uh, assaulter on the Supreme Court, no matter, even if he's guilty, even if what these women saying are true. And also, there is a chance that he lied under oath, perjury. <laughs> uh, this this is just nutty. This is just crazy. Um, but this is the time that we're living in. It is, really. All right, you're on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Go right ahead. You're on. You're on the air. Author, honey, Casper, you're on the air. Are you shy? Nervous? You afraid? Coming me on your show, and for a while, huh? Mr. My new story, unpredictable, looking in and out of darkness. Are you on a speakerphone or something? I I can barely hear you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Honey Casper on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, thanks for doing the show. Thanks for coming aboard. Um, can you tell us, uh, talk about, I think you're an, you're an author. Can you talk about your book or, or whatever you do or enlighten us a little bit? Thank you. Hello? I think she hung up, folks. Well, anyway, <laughs> well, anyway, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show. Maybe yeah, she'll call back. I'm using Pardon me? You're on the air. Everything is being recorded. I don't know. Do you have a good connection? Uh, sounds sounds like a. Uh, you don't have such a good connection. You're in and out, and I don't know. 
All right, we're waiting for Honey Casper. <laughs> Take your time. Let's try to reschedule. You got to reschedule? You want to reschedule? Let's try to reschedule. Okay, uh, drop me an email, and uh, we'll see what we can do, all right? Yes, please. All right, bye-bye. All right, Honey Casper, uh, she just wanted to just rescheduled on the air. I'm pretty sure she's having some phone problems or something to that effect. Okay, folks, we will. Tell me now is John McLaughlin, former acting director of the CIA. Benjamin Wittes is a Brookings Institution fellow and the editor of Lawfare. Heidi Press was a national political reporter, reporter with NBC News, and Susan Del Percio is a Republican strategist. I want to start with. And this is seven ways to get more reviews to your books. Now, as you know, the more reviews that you have on your books, the more sales you're going to make. Now. That Joining me now is John McLaughlin, former acting director of the CIA. Benjamin Wittes is a Brookings Institution fellow and the editor of Lawfare. Heidi Press was a national political reporter, reporter with NBC News. And Susan Del Percio is a Republican strategist. I want to start with John. Uh, you know, I'm not sure Trump cares where he shoots. He's shooting. If anybody gets in his way, he goes with whatever the hat weapon he can find in his holster. He wants to arrest Amorosa. He wants his FBI, his, his attorney general to just go out and arrest her. Suing her isn't enough, but he does know he's allowed to yank security clearances. So that's his first weapon of choice. Yeah, and in this case, I don't think he looks strong and determined, as he says. I think he looks thoughtless and looks a little bit like a mad king. Uh, I've seen this movie before, and it's never in a democracy. This is what you see when uh, a tyrant chooses to use power that they exclusively hold to punish people who've spoken out against them. And frankly, he's been very transparent about this. There's not much artifice in his response. He basically says, the guy's uh, erratic. Uh, yeah, well, you're following your lines, I've often thought that uh, demagoguery is not a good long-term career move. Hmm. Uh, the only one I know who got a long-term career out of it was Franco. Hmm. The rest of them all died hideously. Your thoughts, Ben? Yeah, so I, the other problem with this is it's not going to work because you can revoke the security clearances unilaterally of people who are out of government and who aren't actively using them anyway. But the problem with revoking security clearances as a strategy for dealing with your political problems is that most of the people who have them actually need them to do jobs that they're doing in the yeah. service of you. And so, you know, what are you going to do? You're talking about governing. I'm, I'm, well, I'm talking that about... Trump's not interested in what you're know, talking about. You run a governing CIA. the country. If you want to run a CIA, you've got to have some people with security yeah, You're long-term in your thinking. <laughs> so I'm look. serious. Heidi, I just think he reaches for the reachable weapon. The one that apparently he is... Where the reporting now is that he loves any power he can get. Chris, I think there are moments when we need to remind people that Trump's presidency is, in itself, a grand experiment in the American experience. Never had a president without 
uh, public service experience, never had a president without government experience, military experience, and actually never had a president with no accountability, even within, as a businessman, he was a sole proprietor. He, didn't ha- he wasn't accountable to a board or to shareholders. We just thought that he would learn. In a stunning and unprecedented move, the New York Times is publishing a shocking anonymous op-ed from a senior Trump administration official. It is so unusual. It is so biting. It's such an indictment of the president. The only way to lay out the case this person makes is to read the entire thing to you. So here it is in full, the opinion piece in the New York Times. President Trump is facing a test to his presidency unlike any faced by a modern American leader. It's not just the special counsel that looms large or that the country is bitterly divided over Mr. Trump's leadership or even that his party might well lose the House to an opposition hell-bent on his downfall. The dilemma, which he does not fully grasp, 
is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I am one of them, he writes. Goes on to say, to be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. We want the administration to succeed and think that many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. But we believe our first duty is to this country. And the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. That is why many Trump appointees have vowed to do what we can to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he is out of office. The root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. Although he was elected as a Republican, the president shows little affinity for ideas long espoused by conservatives, free minds, free markets, and free people. At best, he has invoked these ideals in scripted setting. At worst, he has attacked them outright. In addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. Don't get me wrong, he writes. There are bright spots that the near ceaseless negative coverage of the administration fails to capture, effective deregulation, historic tax reform, a more robust military, and more. But these successes have come despite, not because of, the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. From the White House to executive branch departments and agencies, senior officials will privately admit their daily disbelief at the commander-in-chief's comments and actions. Most are working to insulate their, op their operations from his whims. Meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants, and his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. There is literally no telling whether he might change his mind from one minute to the next, a top official complained to me the writer, of course, recently, exasperated by an Oval Office meeting at which the president flip-flopped on a major policy decision he'd made only a week earlier. The erratic behavior would be more concerning if it weren't for unsung heroes in and around the White House. Some of his aides have been cast as villains by the media, but in private, they have gone to great lengths to keep bad decisions contained to the West Wing, though they are clearly not always successful. It may be cold comfort to this chaotic, in this chaotic era, but Americans should know that there are adults in the room. We fully recognize what is happening, and we are trying to do what's right, even when Donald Trump won't. He goes on. The result is a two-track presidency. Take foreign policy. In public and in private, President Trump shows a preference for autocrats and dictators, such as President Vladimir Putin of Russia and North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un and displays little genuine appreciation for the ties that bind us to allied, like-minded nations. Astute observers have noted, though, that the rest of the administration is operating on another track, one where countries like Russia are called out for meddling and punished accordingly, and where allies around the world are engaged as peers rather than ridiculed as rivals. On Russia, for instance, the, the president was reluctant to expel so many of Mr. Putin's spies as punishment for the poisoning of a former Russian spy in Britain. He came, complained for weeks about senior staff members letting him get boxed into further confrontation with Russia, and he expressed frustration the United States 
for the United, that the United States continued to impose sanctions on the country for its malign behavior, but his national security team knew better. Such actions had to be taken to hold Moscow accountable. This isn't the work of the so-called deep state, he writes. It's the work of the steady state. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or another, it's over. The bigger concern is not what Mr. Trump has done to the presidency, but rather what we as a nation have allowed him to do to us. We have sunk low with him and allowed our discourse to be stripped of civility. Senator John McCain put it best in his farewell letter. All Americans should he heed his words and break free of the tribalism trap. Hey there, friends and fans. This is George Wilder Jr. of the George Wilder Jr. Show. <laughs> I want you to enjoy my fictional writings located on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, the website is www.amazon.com slash author slash gwilder or, or go to the Amazon website and type my name in the text bar above to either order or download a book, a story, essays, novels, novelettes, whatever you want to do. And I want to thank you very much for that. And as always, good reading. This is George Wilder Jr. And keep listening. There's always more to come. All right. Thank you, everybody. Turning now to a special report on Donald Trump's education secretary, Betsy DeVos, who is rolling back years of policy in ways that could affect millions of students, maybe students in your own household. In the past few months, she scuttled hundreds of civil rights probes that were underway from the Obama administration and cut off programs that were designed to enhance diversity across American schools. She also dismantled protections for students at for-profit schools. And DeVos came in as one of Trump's most controversial cabinet picks. The question the critics posed was whether she was more focused on business approaches than the public interest. What we're doing tonight is looking at how her record is bearing out. Consider three years ago she said this. We're the beneficiaries of startups, ventures, and innovation in every other area of life. But we don't have that in education because it's a closed system, a closed industry, a closed market. It's a monopoly, a dead end. So what is she doing about her so-called monopoly dead end? Well, we're seeing her tenure touch on virtually just about all the controversial big-ticket items in Donald Trump's presidency, from civil rights to guns to, of course, immigration. Consider that DeVos refuses to say whether migrant kids split from their own parents would get to go to school or not. And she stunned many educators by testifying that teachers could become part of immigration enforcement because they could then be able to call border agents to report on undocumented families. If a principal or a teacher uh, finds out that a, a certain child is undocumented or he, his or her families are, are members are undocumented, do you feel that that principal or teacher should, is responsible to call ICE and to have that family reported? Uh, sir, I think that's, that's a school decision. It's a local community decision. 
She also struck a very Trumpy tone on another fairly basic policy point, the issue over whether one admits that guns are dangerous inside school. You can't say definitively today that guns shouldn't be in schools? Well, I, I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably there, I, I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. Potential grizzlies. That was back in January, but it was more than a gaffe. We want to show you the facts in policy because she's now leading a commission on school safety, but says the entire effort will not even discuss gun violence. So you're studying gun violence, but not considering the role of guns. We're actually studying school safety and how we can ensure our students are safe but, at well, school. How can you ensure students are safe in school? Well, look at what endangers their safety. 59 school shootings, 59 deaths, 93 injured since DeVos was confirmed last year. Now, she also was part of funneling millions of dollars in donations to the Republican Party, which put her on the map for the Trump administration, but had zero prior experience in public education, something which critics say is part of the problem and has become very obvious in her public statements. So were you unaware when I just asked you about the IDEA that it was a federal law? I may have confused it. Have Sarah, the public yeah. schools in Michigan gotten better? Uh, I don't know. Overall, I, I can't say overall that they have all gotten better. The whole state is not doing well. Well, there are certainly lots of pockets where the, the, the students are doing no, well. And those kind of appearances did open her up to ridicule all the way over on SNL. Well, I don't, um, I don't know anything about school, but I, I do think there should be a school. Well, I, I think the problem is that the words that were coming out of my mouth were bad, and that is because they came from my brain. Look, I may not be very good on camera, but behind the scenes, my ideas are much worse. Is it funny or is it true? Many critics are saying the record has become clear and some of those ideas are actually much worse. DeVos reversing Obama policies for sexual assault protections on campus, dropping bathroom rules that were designed to protect students who identify as transgender, and then pulling out, pulling out on guidelines that protect disabled students. Now, DeVos is a longtime advocate for private schools, often at the expense of public education. That's a big and complex debate, but she's been criticized for sometimes seeming to downplay the problems that students do face in underperforming schools. Have you seen the really bad schools? Maybe try to figure out what, what they're doing? I have, not, I, have not, I have not intentionally visited schools that are underperforming. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe I should, yes. Leslie Saul there on 60 Minutes, maybe you should, a fair point to raise with someone in charge of all the schools. I mean, the ones that are perfect, they might need less attention. Now here at The Beat, we reached out to the Education Department for this report to ask a follow-up because more time has gone by. Has DeVos actually gone out and visited any of those underperforming schools since March when she said that? Well, we found that just two of the schools out of the 24 she's visited are characterized as underperforming. In fact, the majority of the school visits during this period were to foreign overseas schools like those in England, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. Now, there are about 75 million students here in the United States and many different types of schools worth visiting, at least some 
maybe half, ought to be the underperforming ones if they're the ones you want to help. The bigger point here, as we see the record, is that the things said, the things flagged, those so-called gaffes, they're making their way into education policy here in the Trump administration. And perhaps that dead end is something that Ms. DeVos was seeing in her own future. It's a closed system, a closed industry, a closed market. It's a monopoly, a dead end. Hey, I'm Ari Melber from MSNBC. You can see more of our videos right here, or better yet, subscribe to our YouTube channel below. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. Hey everybody, the George Wilder Jr. Show is now in session. The finest internet radio talk show and podcast in the land of Illinois on the north side of the great, great city of Chicago. We are now on the air. Fun time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Have a great time.
the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told, so they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. Ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, what, are you kidding me? The eleven commandments? Get the fuck out of here. But ten... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. <laughs> and to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath... Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, you're down to seven. Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parent's performance. Parent's performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but, but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. 
But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. <laughs> Am I right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> you want to get one too. <laughs> Coveting creates jobs. Leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now. The big honesty and fidelity commandment and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder. The fifth commandment. But when you think about it, <laughs> when you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do... Yeah. Uh-huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take thou shalt not kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. <laughs> Thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie. <laughs> and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone. Unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. <laughs> two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the Invisible Man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you, and he needs money. <laughs> he always needs money. 
He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I've got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. <laughs> something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> and just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. <laughs> and by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So, so, uh, if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot, mindlessly and, and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky, incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship, something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight, I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight. You can't see the sun at night. But first thing the next morning... I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, kind of helps the credibility along, you know? So every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake. An occasional skin cancer, but hey, at least there are no crucifixions and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us. Sun worship is fairly simple. There's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, there are no songs to learn, and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing. And the best thing, the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy. Doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved. Hadn't said an unkind word. Treats me fine. So, I worship the sun. But, I don't pray to the sun. Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. 
I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Asking you know, trillions and trillions of prayers every day, asking and pleading and begging for favors, do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday, his day off. <laughs> Not nice. And it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her crotch. Your, your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to fuck that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot. Huh? Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But what about the divine plan? Remember that? The divine plan. Long time ago, God made a divine plan. Gave it a lot of thought, decided it was a good plan, put it into practice. And for billions and billions of years, the divine plan has been doing just fine. Now you come along and pray for something. Well, suppose the thing you want isn't in God's divine plan. What do you want him to do? Change his plan? Just for you? Doesn't it seem a little arrogant? It's a divine plan. What's the use of being God if every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan? <laughs> and here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine. But if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the fuck bother praying in the first place? <laughs> Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But, as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. <laughs> Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. <laughs> Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe. In awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. <laughs> Religion takes in billions of dollars, 
they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. It's <laughs> just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. <laughs> and by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So, 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 if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot, mindlessly and, and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship, something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight, I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight, you can't see the sun at night. But first thing the next morning, I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun, okay? <laughs> yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, kind of helps the credibility along, you know? <laughs> so every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake, and occasional skin cancer, but hey, <laughs> at least there are no crucifixions, and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us. Sun worship is fairly simple. There's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, there are no songs to learn, and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing. <laughs> and the best thing, the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy. It doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved, hasn't said an unkind word, treats me fine. So, I worship the sun, but I don't pray to the sun. Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Asking you know, trillions and trillions of prayers every day, asking and pleading and begging for favors, do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday. 
is day off. <laughs> Not nice. And it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her crotch. Your, your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to fuck that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot, huh? Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But what about the divine plan? Remember that? The divine plan. Long time ago, God made a divine plan. Gave it a lot of thought, decided it was a good plan, put it into practice. And for billions and billions of years, the divine plan has been doing just fine. Now you come along and pray for something. Well, suppose the thing you want isn't in God's divine plan. What do you want him to do? Change his plan? Just for you? Doesn't it seem a little arrogant? It's a divine plan. What's the use of being God if every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan? <laughs> and here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine, but if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the fuck bother praying in the first place? Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. <laughs> Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. Doesn't fuck around. In fact, in fact, Joe Pesci came through on a couple of things that God was having trouble with. For years, I asked God to do something about my noisy neighbor with the barking dog. Joe Pesci straightened that cocksucker out with one visit. It's amazing what you can accomplish with us. It is July 16th, 2018. Many are saying this is a day that will live in infamy. And that's true. They say it will be remembered as the day the presidency, as a symbol of America's protection, died. But I see something else as a result here. I think we hit bottom. And if so, there's a blessing in that because there can be no more debate about which way is up. Donald John Trump delivered us here with a display of cowardly self-interest. His decision to choose to believe Vladimir Putin over his own government on the matter of Russian attacks on our election. As simple and as shocking as it was embarrassing to hear those words. But when it happened, everything changed. It was like the free world gasped. Now, we all knew that Trump wouldn't and maybe couldn't confront Putin about his attack on our democracy to anyone's true satisfaction, if only because Trump had disparaged the truth of the matter too many times before. And we thought we knew why. Because Trump conflates the attack with his legitimacy as president. But in all that, we never suspected that a president would betray his own country as an exercise in vanity. But then Donald Trump betrayed America. And after that gasp at Trump's perfidy, came all the exhaled words of outrage and calls for justice. John Brennan, the former CIA director under President Obama, called it, quote, nothing short of treasonous. Now, that's a loaded word. 
the law does mention giving enemies aid and comfort as treasonous. And no question, Russia is an enemy for attacking our democracy. And what Trump did today does resemble aiding and comforting. And the law has very harsh penalties, including disqualifying the treasonous from holding office. But what's the reality? There will likely be no negative consequence like that for President Trump. No prosecution, no impeachment. And I'm not making a case here that there should be. My case is for something else that we're seeing in response that has been elusive, as elusive as justice in America recently, and that is consensus. Right, left, and reasonable in our government, when they drew their next breath, they found a collective voice, and they shouted, no, no, Putin is not right. Trump is wrong. We believe our institutions. We trust in our democracy. Russia did interfere. We will not trade facts for feelings of legitimacy. We will not trade our conscience for conspiracies. No, party is not that important. The truth, however, is, and I see a realization in this unity. The realization is this, the truth is a side. And we were all on the right side in this moment in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. And in that moment, Trump's luck ran out. He wasn't going to escape through doubling down and insulting his way out of it. He tried. Russia did this during Obama. Servers are missing. The FBI agent, he's the real culprit. It all washed over us like the whining of a child who won't go to bed. The GOP can't dismiss this as style and say, let's wait and see. We waited too long, and the world did see and heard what President Donald Trump said. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. So I have great confidence in my intelligence people.